at the time of Christ in the temple, they were still offering sacrifices daily of goats and then of bulls and drink offerings and wave offerings and all kinds of grain offerings and bread offerings. And all of these offerings were made by things of this world, an imperfect world, a world imbued with sin, a fallen world. And those sacrifices from a fallen world could never take away sins, the author of Hebrew is saying. Only someone who was sin-free. And that is only God. Jesus came to earth. He lived a life in perfection like we should live so that he might offer up that atoning sacrifice. You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Well, good morning, everyone, again. Again, everybody's asleep, I think. Good morning, everybody. There we go. I know, I know it's not the best weather out there, but we can still be happy in here. Uh, today's passage is uh, Matthew 22. Uh, verses 41 through 46. So if you'd please stand, uh, let's uh, read God's word. Matthew 22, verses 41 through 46. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus then, excuse me, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your love for us. Uh, for the way that you have provided for us, not just your son who's come down from heaven, uh, the one who is higher than any other name, Lord, but that you have given us your holy word that we can learn about him and learn about you. We thank you for this passage that we have today, that even though it was written 2,000 years ago, it applies to our lives. Even though it seems to be this kind of unknown little passage, Lord, that it's, it's really important. And so we ask that you'd help us today to learn the truths from this passage, that we might put them into our lives and implement them in our lives as we seek to glorify, worship, and follow you. So be with us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as I said before, I grew up here in Bismarck, uh, and uh, when I was in high school as a senior, I worked at Sears in the Gateway Mall. Uh, unfortunately, Sears is no longer in the Gateway Mall, uh, but one day after work, I was going to see my girlfriend, and I thought I would get some flowers for her, so I went to a florist. Maybe someone could help me out later with the name of that florist. I really don't remember the name of it. But there was a florist a flora, uh, in, the, in the Gateway Mall. And, and as I was standing there looking into the cooler of flowers, like what flowers should I get, this gentleman rolled up on me uh, and said, you must be Dave Ewing's boy. And I was like, wow, who are you? You know, I have no idea who you are. And how do you know that I'm Dave Ewing's boy? That's my dad, Dave Ewing. 
And so I said to him, excuse me, do I know you? And he said, no, you don't know me. We've never met. I live in Garrison. I said, oh, okay. Well, how did you know that I was Dave Ewing's boy? He said, well, you know, I looked at you and I knew right away. I went to high school with your dad up in Turtle Lake. Uh, and, and just looking at you, I knew that you were Dave Ewing's boy. And I said, oh, are you in town to see my dad? He said, no, I haven't seen your dad since high school, like 28 years ago. But I looked at you and I knew right away that you're Dave Ewing's boy. He knew my identity right away just by looking at me. He knew that I was the son of David Ewing. And, and he didn't hold that against me. <laughs> right? He came up and said hello. In today's passage, we have a case of mistaken identity. Jesus, as we have seen as we've been going through the book of Matthew... Right? That Jesus is King Jesus. In the, the past few weeks, you've seen how the Sadducees and how the Pharisees have been testing Jesus, trying to trap him in his words about the law, about heaven. Right? What's the greatest commandment last week we talked about? From fringes to hinges. Jesus was under attack. And yet in today's passage, we see the Pharisees are still gathered around. And what does Jesus do? He turns the tables. He goes on the offensive. Right? He flips the script and says, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And, and the Pharisees gave the typical Israel answer, the son of David. In Israel's history and in that current time, everyone was looking forward to the Messiah, to the Christ, right? Messiah means Savior or the Anointed One in Hebrew, and in Greek it's Christ, Christos. And, and they were looking forward to this Messiah who would come and free them. And in their minds, it was to make Israel great again. It was to... Help them, they were being oppressed by the Roman Empire to break off this oppression and to become great and to rule over the nations around them. And that this Messiah, this son of David from the lineage of their great King David, he would come and he would be their Messiah. But Jesus said to them then, well, how is it then? That David, right, and he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord, David would write in the Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. There's some things going on in this passage that we don't see in English. So this, this passage uh, in Matthew is written in Greek originally. This has been translated from Greek into English for us, and faithfully so. In the Greek, it uses the word kyrios, which means Lord. Some of you might remember a Mr. Mr. song, Kyrie Laison, right? That's that same word. I won't sing it for you, but I love that song. Anyways, in the Hebrew... If you, Jesus is quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. If you were to go back to Psalm 110, verse 1, in our English Bibles, it's kind of mistranslated a little bit. I'm just going to say that. It says, the Lord says to my Lord, come, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, uh, un until I place your enemies under your feet. 
But in the Hebrew, it says, Neum Yahweh la Adonai. It doesn't say, My Lord says to my Lord. It says, God, Yahweh, says to my Lord, La Adonai. Come sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. God says to my Lord, is what David wrote. Jesus, the Pharisees, they would all understand this because they would have studied Psalms in Hebrew. They would have known that it was David in the Spirit saying, God said to my Lord. And it's David, King David, the the highest person in all of Israel, the one with the most authority. No one was above him in Israel. And yet he is saying, the Lord said to my Lord. Who's the Lord of a king? No one, right? The king is the top. And so David is saying, God said to my Lord, the Messiah, the Christ, one who is above man, in, in essence, God, come and sit at my right hand. And so Jesus is addressing this case of mistaken identity that the Pharisees have about the Messiah. He said, even David said, this guy is not just the son of David. How could he be his son if David is calling him his Lord? But instead, the Messiah is the son of David, but also the Son of God, just like we sang about earlier. Paul explains this for us in Romans. So if we, if we turn to Romans chapter 1, he's addressing the church at Rome in a letter. He's, it's the greeting to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus, uh, sorry, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace. And apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to the saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is starting off his letter to the Romans, summing up once again who Jesus Christ is. We all know that Jesus Christ is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And Paul tells us, like we know, in verse 4, I'm sorry, in verse 3, that he is descended from David. Right? You, you started out this huge journey, I'm assuming, back in Matthew chapter 1, and the genealogy of Jesus, that he is a descendant of David. He's from the line of David, both through his dad and through his mom. Jesus was the son of David by flesh. But in verse 4, he says he was declared to be the son of God in power 
according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. The things that Jesus did, he said if, in John, if, if you don't believe, believe by the miracles that you have seen, right? The things that Jesus did proclaimed to everyone. They showed proof to everyone that he was not just a man, that he was God. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word is used to explain Jesus. And it goes on to say that that Word became flesh and dwelt among man, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And Paul is saying that by the things that Jesus did, the pinnacle of which is being resurrected from the dead, prove, they show, that Jesus is not just the son of David, a son of man, but instead is also the son of God. Only Jesus had this unique position. Only Jesus was fully God and fully man, but it had to be that way for him to be the Messiah. Jesus was telling the Pharisees that their idea of a Messiah is wrong. They're mistaken about who this person is and what he's going to do. Their belief that the Messiah was going to come and liberate Israel and make them this powerhouse of a nation over those all around them is not what the Messiah is there to do. The book of Hebrews helps us understand what this is all about. If we look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, we, we understand a little better why Jesus had to be man. Hebrews 2, 17 says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, that's atonement, for the sins of the people. In order to be the sacrifice for the people, in order to offer up that atonement, he had to have flesh and blood. He had to be a man. He couldn't do it from heaven. He had to come and make an atoning sacrifice of himself. And in order to do that, he had to take on our likeness and become like a man. But because he is fully God, if we turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, we get to see why it was important that he was also fully God. Hebrews 10 verses uh, 11 through 14 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering of himself, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus, fully God, was able to come and make that atoning sacrifice. Why? Because at the time of Christ in the temple, they were still offering sacrifices daily of goats and then of bulls and 
drink offerings and wave offerings and all kinds of grain offerings and bread offerings. And all of these offerings were made by things of this world, an imperfect world, a world imbued with sin, a fallen world. And those sacrifices from a fallen world could never take away sins, the author of Hebrew is saying. Only someone who was sin-free. And that is only God. Jesus came to earth. He lived a life in perfection like we should live so that he might offer up that atoning sacrifice. If we go back to Romans, we see that Paul is explaining that Jesus was fully God. He was fully man. And that by his coming and sacrificing himself, he allows us grace. In Romans chapter 1, right? The end of verse 4, he says, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. Grace only comes from Jesus Christ because he was fully God and fully man. But that grace can only come when he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're studying Matthew Jesus, King Jesus, and a king is a Lord, right? If we view Jesus as king, Paul is saying he is to be viewed as Lord, Lord of our life. Paul is saying that Christ wants to come alongside us. He wants to lead us in life. He wants to save us from the various situations we find ourselves in. And only He can do that. Only He. If we, if we look at Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they've, they've, uh, they've healed a man and they've gotten in trouble and they get put in prison and the next day they're taken before the council and we see in Acts chapter 4, Verses 8 through 12. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among man by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only one who can offer salvation. And it isn't just a one-time, I'm going to get you across the line in heaven kind of salvation. He wants to walk with us. 
He wants to be the Lord of our lives. As Paul said in Romans 1, in order for him to give grace, we have to see him as Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Paul wrote about it in 2 Corinthians uh, in, in a different way, right? Uh, if we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. This is a, a great passage about the ministry of reconciliation, uh, of how Christ came to save us and to reconcile us to God. Um, but if we see in verse 14 and 15, he says, For the love of God controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died, that's Christ, has died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul is saying that Jesus, the Christ, died not only that we might have forgiveness of sins but that we might no longer live for ourselves but live for him make him the lord of our lives follow him become more like him and grow in him only jesus can do that because he was fully god and fully man the Pharisees didn't understand this, right? They had this case of mistaken identity. They thought the Messiah was going to come and be this great military and political leader and free Israel that way. And Jesus is saying, no. First off, it's not just a man. It's also God. And it's not just someone coming here to offer sacrifice so that Israel might become great. But instead, the Messiah is coming so that we might make him our Lord and Savior. Mistaken identity is a real thing. It's interesting. Um, my, my, in 1980, we were living in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, but we came here to North Dakota up to Turtle Lake uh, where my dad grew up. We were going to see my grandmother. She wasn't feeling well. Uh, and my dad was asked to speak at the Turtle Lake uh, high school graduation baccalaureate. And so he gave us he gave a, a, a sermon at the baccalaureate. Um, and then a couple days later, we were standing outside of the church, and this gentleman came up to my dad, and I'm standing there, and he says, Oh, Jeannie, you did a great job on that trumpet solo. It was so wonderful what you did. It was so great to hear you play the trumpet again. My dad doesn't play the trumpet. I was so confused. And then my dad turns to him and says, yeah, you know, it was really great to be back and to be playing the trumpet again. As, you know, I just did the best that I could, and, and it's really great to see everybody. And he just took on this role of this person named Jeannie. And I was like, what? This is weird. What's going on? So I asked my dad. I said, Dad, you're not Jeannie. I mean, his middle name is Eugene, but nobody calls you Jeannie. It, it turns out, like if we go to the next slide, that that my dad's cousin is Eugene Evans. And, and that, that, at that service, Eugene, everybody called him Jeannie, had played a trumpet solo. And he and my dad, while not looking so much alike in these pictures here from high school, they're about 10 years apart, they looked identical in 1980. They're both super short, right? Like right around five feet. They both had this like wavy permed haircut, which is like uncharacteristic for my dad, but I guess that's what uh, Jean wore. 
And, and the whole weekend after my dad spoke at baccalaureate and Gene played the trumpet, everybody kept getting them mixed up and saying to my dad, great job on the trumpet solo, and saying to Eugene, great job with that sermon at the baccalaureate. And my dad said, I just got tired of telling everybody, hey, you're wrong. I'm not Gene, I'm Dave, and I did the sermon, right? That idea of mistaken identity is real. There's another case of mistaken identity I want to share with you. It, it happened in Japan because sometimes mistaken identity is not about the way we look. Sometimes mistaken identity comes in the form of what we're able to do. And, and uh, there was this friend of ours, a friend of mine. I used to play in a pickup basketball league. And uh, this gentleman I got to know and become friends with, uh, his nickname was Llama. Uh, and the first few times he said that, I was like, llama? As in like the animal? Like really, llama? And he's like, yeah, yeah, people say I look like a llama. So they call me llama. <laughs> and I'm like, I can kind of see it, <laughs> right? So, uh, so llama and I became really good friends. And there was a you know, whole group of us that would get together and play basketball. Um, and, and, you know, it had been like five years since we had stopped playing basketball, but I got a phone call from him. I would see him every now and then. He worked at Starbucks and, and was kind of following him. He became uh, the head of like a nutrition at a nursing home, and so I got plugged in with him there. But uh, he calls me one night. I was at church. It was late at night. I was kind of finishing up a bunch of stuff, as a pastor does sometimes. It was about 1 in the morning, and, and I get this phone call. Hey, Paul, uh, do you remember this girl? that used to play with us. And I'm not going to tell you her name because I don't want to get her in trouble uh, with the U.S. government or anything. Um, so we're going to call her Camille, right? Llama and Camille, uh, not camel. She doesn't look like a camel, by the way. She's a very nice-looking young lady. Um, she's run into an issue, and, and I think you might be able to help her. Can she give you a call? And I'm like, absolutely, she can give me a call. So I get this call from Camille. She says, oh, hey, Paul, it's great to talk to you again. I haven't seen you in a while. Um, I've got this problem, and I'm, I'm hoping you can help me. And I'm like, okay. She said, well, I, I'm, I just got married yesterday, uh, and we're going on our honeymoon in a couple days. We're going to Hawaii. Uh, we're really looking forward to this. We've been looking forward to this for a while, but I saved some of the details till the last minute, and one of those is to fill out the ESTA, right, the Electronic System for travel authorization. Basically, it's like a visa waiver program with the United States. So you, you go online. We don't know this because we live in the United States. But it, you go online and you fill out this application to say, hey, I'm okay not to go through the process of getting a visa because I come from this country, and, and you answer a few questions. And so uh, Camille, not speaking English, had looked up what it meant in Japanese uh, and then was trying to fill out the application in English. And in the process... One of the questions was, are you a terrorist? Right? I don't know how many terrorists would actually say yes to that, but it's one of the questions. And in, her, in, in the midst of uh, translating it into Japanese and back, and the question got turned around, and she answered yes, thinking that meant I'm not a terrorist. Right? So automatically, her ESTA application was denied. She's going on her honeymoon in two days to Hawaii, something they've been planning for and saving for, and she's looking to me to somehow rectify this. 
I'm like, I don't know if I can help you, Camille, but I'll give it a try. So I called the embassy in Tokyo, and they're like, why are you calling us at 2 in the morning about some, some person's weird, some terrorist application, you know? And, and I'm like, well, you know, she's not really a terrorist, and they're trying to explain what happened. And they said, well, the only thing you can do is call the State Department. So I called the State Department in Washington, D.C., and uh, you can imagine the, the bureaucracy and the hoops I had to jump through on that one, and finally got to talk to someone fairly high up in the State Department and ask them about it, and they said, no, if she marked yes to I'm a terrorist, that's it. She's, she can't use ESTA for the rest of her life. Um, and if she ever wants to go through the process of coming to the United States, she's got to go through the process of getting an actual visa uh, to come to the United States. I wasn't able to help her. <laughs> I mean, because it's just me. I'm just, you know, Joe Schmo missionary here in Japan. Uh, she thought I had way more authority and power than I really did. It was a case of mistaken identity. The same thing that the Pharisees had. The same idea that Jesus was addressing. The Messiah is not this kind of person who's going to be lording it over people and being this huge geopolitical uh, military ruler. He is not that. King Jesus is not that. He's one who comes to us. So that leads us to the question, what do we think of the Christ? Whose son is he to us? When you think about Jesus Christ... Who is he to you? Is he just this guy that we go to church and hear about? Maybe he's a rabbi. Maybe he was a good teacher. Maybe he was a really good man. Maybe he was a prophet. You know, maybe he was or is the salvation dispenser for us. He, he atoned for us. We say, yes, uh, boom, the box is checked, and now we get to cross the line and go to heaven. Who is the Messiah to us? Is he one of those things, or could it be that for us we see him as what he is, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Savior of the world, God, come to earth so that we might make him our personal Lord and Savior? How do we, how do you look at Jesus today? Because Jesus is not, he didn't come just to get you across that line into heaven. He said in John chapter 10 that he came to give life and to give it to the full. He wants all of mankind, all of us, to live the best life that we can. He wants to walk with us. He wants to be there when we are in bad situations, when we have trouble, when we are tempted and have temptation, when we make bad decisions. When we encounter bad actors, people that want to harm us or bring us down, he wants to be there to save us. He wants to help us when we have a bad image of who God is, of, of who the Holy Spirit is, of, of what the church should be like. He wants to save us from those things and to help us have the best life that we can have in him. But in order for that to happen, he has to be King Jesus to us. He has to be our Lord. We have to get off the throne of our own hearts and allow Jesus to sit on the throne of our own hearts. We have to live 
for him instead of living for ourselves. So again, I'll ask, who is Jesus Christ to you? When you face bad situations, when you have trouble, when you have trial, when you have temptation, do you look to those who can't save you in a case of mistaken identity? Say, ooh, this is going to help me if I just had more money, if I just had that nicer car, if I just had that bigger house, if I just had more friends, if I just had this X, Y, or Z. That's going to save me from this situation. Maybe if I just learned more, maybe if I tried harder, maybe if I prayed more, that's going to fix it. Do you look at Jesus that way as just this guy on the side who's like the salvation dispenser, I'm just going to get across the line into heaven? Or do you look at him as who he is? God's son, the Messiah, a man filled with compassion who wants to walk with us in life. And are we willing to make him the Lord of our lives? Let's not be like the disciples. I mean, sorry, like the Pharisees. Let's not be ones who have a case of mistaken identity. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. He is King Jesus. So let's follow him. Fully God. Fully man so that he might be Lord and Savior of our lives as well. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this passage today, for the conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees, and for the way that he corrected their theology, the way that he corrected their mistaken identity in who the Messiah is. Lord, I ask that you would be with each and every one of us. Those of us who don't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, work on our hearts. Help us to understand that truth. Help us to go to someone who can help us understand that truth as well. Those of us who have already committed our lives to you, Father God, and yet still have not made you completely Lord of our life, help us to do that. Help us to step out in faith, Father God, with you on the throne of our hearts, living for you in a way that glorifies you but also gives us the best life that we could ever have. We ask that you would help us with that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.